Welcome to another special topic episode of the Olufen's Weekly Wrap-Up. Today is Friday, April 1st. I'm Haya Batniji. And this week, our special topic episode will recap the Olufen's highlights from WPC and AFPM. Today, we are joined by Steve Lewandowski, our very own VP of Global Olufen's. Welcome back to the podcast, Steve. Well, glad to be back after many, uh, many weeks of being an active listener. Uh, you know, it's good to be here live and, and talking with you guys and sharing some thoughts. I was beginning to wonder if it was something I said in the last event that uh, really uh, made me one of those avoidance factors uh, to get online. Even if it was, Steve, it was so long ago, I can't even remember what you said to offend us. It's Fair been enough. two years. <laughs> it's Fair enough. I'm in the same boat. <laughs> It's been two years, but we're glad to have you back. Uh, Before we begin, Steve, it's been a while, like we mentioned. So can you take a moment to uh, reintroduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and what you do for IHS Market? Or is it Dow Jones? Is that too soon? (laughs) Yeah, maybe still a little bit too soon. We had a call earlier today. So yes, I I really have the honor and and privilege of, of leading the Global Elephants team, which is really a clever bunch of folks around the world, you know, offices in, in Asia, offices in Europe, and, and of course here in, in the US. So it's a great team, you know, here at IHS uh, Market. We've we've really learned to work together and coordinate because these are global commodities. Uh, we are kind of starting to call ourselves uh, chemical market analytics. So on top of the, the Dow Jones uh, banter, you know, there's a little bit going on there on that front as well. So we're looking to a new name and a new a new world going forward with this uh, divestiture acquisition by the new owner Dow Jones, which should be taking place sometime in the beginning of June, uh, before the middle of June is is kind of the target timing. So our group, you know, we cover ethylene, propylene, C4s and derivatives, um, some of the other propylene derivatives such as oxo alcohols acrylates and acrylonitrile. So we really bringing all these pieces together. I'm a chemical engineer. I've been in industry for for more years than I like to remember, Uh, but it does bring a a bit of perspective to a lot of things going on, going through a few cycles and watching investments in high cost, low cost and in global recessions and challenges on the economy. So it's good to be with this team and, and really help the clients uh, make better decisions and understand how we see the market and throw our assumptions at them just so they understand where we're coming from. Yeah, uh, thank you, Steve, for that introduction. So you just got back from WPC and AFPM back to back. Can you tell us how was it being back in business attire presenting two years later? Yeah, WPC was a challenge having to remember how to tie a tie again <laughs> uh, and, and, wearing, yeah. and wearing slacks. You know, wearing a coat jacket the few times I did go out, I did have a chance to meet a few customers face-to-face and do one conference face-to-face. So I was out a bit early in this conference, but it's always great to be at WPC for sure. It's such a large event uh, and it was well attended this year as we missed the last couple of years going virtual. So seeing customers, talking to customers, watching body language as you're making your points and seeing who agrees and who doesn't agree is is really, uh, really interesting and, and something we missed dearly. You know, I found, Haya, what I found interesting was how, how exhausted I was because I wasn't in that in game shape, if you will, right? Because mm-hmm. we've been working out of the home for two months and, you know, we've 
most clients have already been back in the office for at least a year or so, uh, but because we're the nature of our job, we can we we can work from home. So really, I was out of game shape to be shaking hands and meeting people and smiling. And I mean, I felt like I was exhausted. But but what I would say is that it was actually pretty fun to see people face to face. And I can't remember how many smiling faces I've seen in, in a while. So it was it was pretty fun. Yeah, I agree. Well, Steve, we're, we, we're certainly happy to have you on here and thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. I was also there during WPC and during your presentation. Um, clients were obviously interested in the core theme for WPC, which revolved around sustainability. So with that being said, um, can you go a little bit into what does a sustainable world look like for the Olefins? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And you know, when I look at it, there's kind of two facets. One is circular plastics and managing plastics waste and how we go about that. And the the second is net zero emissions or carbon neutrality and the the exit from a fossil fuel world to some other forms uh, of energy supply. And a lot of this is more in the longer term horizon. You know, there's a lot of interest to create associations consortias and, and figure out some of these problems together because alone, uh, A, we don't have necessarily the technology in a lot of these fronts, uh, and B, it's really expensive. So we have to we have to find a path forward. Circularity, you know, I always say, you know, we have uh, an image problem. We do a lot of great things with plastics uh, for the enabling of, of better life around the world. So we have a lot of pluses that we have to solve this image problem of, of wastes and waste in the ocean or landfills around, around the world. And I would say we got to collect it better. We got to contain it better. And we're chemistry. We're, we're going to figure out a way to smartly reuse it, however that may be. And I think that's what's really important. Uh, but that's going to take time. It's going to take you know scaling up. It's going to take maybe some some new technologies and whatever that solution is, you know, we're going to we're going to fill that void and make this work out. Net zero is a bigger challenge, um, you know, because we're a small piece of a global carbon footprint. I mean, energy power generation is a big emitter on a broader scale. Um, mobility, just cars, trucks, uh, airplanes, boats, et cetera, are big emitters. So that's a, a bigger hill to climb. We're a small piece in chemicals uh, of that global mix, but we're ahead of the curve. I think in a lot of fronts, we're investing things, we're doing things again, because we're chemistry. We know good ways to solve tough problems and will help bring some of those some of those uh, learnings to these other industries that have you know these bigger problems to solve along with us. Yeah, I think the other the other piece, Steve, that I brought up in my presentation is demand growth is such that we're going to need some alternative sources of feedstock, right? So the what I brought up in my presentation was the whole what does sustainability look like from a production standpoint, right? And so we there's two paths. It's either advanced recycling, whether it's pyrolysis or chemical decomposition, or food to chemicals, right? And so we kind of explored a, a little bit of both in that. And I know that we also had a, a, a big presentation on circularity and plastics, but Really, I think the key message that I was uh, bringing forward to the rest of the audience that this stuff is going to help, but the world will still need hydrocarbon-based feeds to meet the demand 
for both ethylene and propylene. I mean, wouldn't you agree? No, I, I fully agree. I mean, one one plus or you know minus depending on your, there is money to be spent here, right? I think the financial sector is able and willing to to lend money to these creative solutions. But you're right, fossil fuels are such an important piece of the mix, and some of the circularity uh, solutions, quite frankly, make new feed. Maybe it's not fossil fuel coming out of the ground, but it's a synthetic crude, a synthetic naphtha that comes from waste plastics that still are going to work its way through the historical value chain other than needing maybe a refinery or NGL fractionation in front of it. So yeah, hydrocarbons, just because of the technology that's out there, we think is going to you know be in, in the mix for, for a long time, unless there, of course, is some black swan event, you know, new power generation or or plasma technology that really takes off that that changes the world, which we've seen, but you know that's not in our base case for sure. Yeah, I think the 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 fascinating thing is that it seems us as a research shop, we seem to be leaning more towards the advanced recycling uh, instead of the food to chemicals, right? Because I I brought up a brief example that if you wanted to. Cover 75 million tons of propylene demand with a food to chemical solution, which would be corn or sugar based uh, ethanol to ethanol dehydration to ethylene dimerization, just to get the propylene. 75 million tons of that would be equivalent to 440 million tons worth of corn, right? And that's like roughly a third of the current corn production, right? So there's it, it doesn't seem like food to chemicals will be the big uh, driver. It seems to me, it seems like advanced recycling is going to be much more critical into meeting uh, demands and doing it in a sustainable fashion. I mean, what, what, what do you think? No, I agree. I think, okay, I'll date myself a bit, but I remember when oxygenated fuels were the mantra for gasoline and, um, one of the solutions was ethanol, and there was this big debate about f fuels versus food at the time. Now we're talking chemicals to, to food. I mean, the yields of crops have increased substantially around the world because of you know genetically modified products or the, the proper use of fertilizers or better farming techniques in general. But you're right, the population's gonna grow. I think our estimate is another 2 billion people over the course of the next 30 years. That's a lot of people to feed on top of the, you know, the folks that probably are already malnutritioned in, in the base case. So we have a ways to go on that front, which is really a, an important factor for us as a society, as well as, you know, the drivers on making sure our environment's clean and, and sound and, and done in the right way. That is uh, definitely some interesting insight on that. Another uh, recurring theme during WPC that everything is getting more expensive. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I mean, definitely we saw the impacts of the conflict uh, in, in Ukraine driving up concern about oil supply. The world was already uh, ramping up post COVID. Uh, you know, oil wells normally deplete at a pretty rapid pace. So you got to do new drilling just to keep par with the base case, let alone, you know, adding new wells to, to keep up with growth. So oil was already kind of a worry area for our energy colleagues, and the conflict didn't help. A lot of a lot of stuff comes out of Russia, whether that's oil direct or whether that's finished goods. Uh, so the energy sector is, you know, was in a tough spot, as well as natural gas. A lot of natural gas came out of that region, Destin by pipe, 
in a large extent, whether that's going um, east into China or west and into the broader Europe. So both oil and natural gas were spiking. You know, that's clearly pushing up costs to produce chemicals, definitely in the regions that are based on a, a, a gas flow for the energy supply or a raw material that's based on oil. They really they really saw a big increase in cost structure, but then it expanded in agricultural because the big natural gas play there, a lot of ammonia is made uh, within that region of Ukraine and Russia, a lot of urea for fertilizer. So this is going to impact uh, the yields of crops. I mean, fertilizer is one of those things that really changed the world and helped us feed more people with the same amount of limited acreage, the finite amount of acreage that we have around the world. So that fertilizer is important. This is planting season. And if you miss that first shot at, at getting the fertilizer in, your yields are going to be down. So this is going to be a challenge. We have to watch the inventories as they deplete through the year, waiting until the harvest period to see what the expectations are on, on yields per acre. So that could be a challenge, as well as metals. You know, any kind of metal going into car, aluminum or here in nickel or here in palladium, you know, all this that's driving the electronic age, all the chips we make, you know, aluminum for vehicles, aluminum for just about everything that that we do in life. So widgets in general are just going to be more expensive. And when you have to pay more for fuel and pay more for food, you know, that's going to even be less disposable income for the general consumer, the general public to buy widgets made out of, of plastics, which is kind of a, a demand threat that we're keeping a close eye on from our perspective. Yeah, I think the other thing, Haya, the other theme was definitely short term, but from a longer term perspective, things are looking more expensive because net zero circularity, this is, there are new pieces of equipment that would need to be added to existing projects just to be able to make them viable and just to promote the social license to operate uh, of some of these plants. The other thing that I added in my presentation, and Steve, you can back me up on this, that if, if the energy transition comes and if crude oil demand begins to peak and crude runs begin to peak, then everything by definition becomes uh, much more expensive for the petrochemical value chain because there has to be some incentive for refiners to run incremental barrels of crude just to feed uh, the downstream chemical plants, right? So that, that's just a very simplistic way to understand that, oh, well, just because oil demand begins to peak doesn't necessarily mean that that lower prices for gasoline, et cetera, would actually translate to lower prices for petrochemicals. In fact, it, it it may go the opposite way because naphtha crackers around the world are used to paying $2 a barrel over uh, crude oil just for their feedstock. Now they may have to pay $10 a barrel over crude oil just to get their feedstock because that's a price that approximates gasoline. I mean, tell me, tell me what you think about that. Steve. No, I'm, I'm fully aligned with, with that line of thought. Look, if oil production goes down, we're going to probably lose associated gas with all of that oil, which of course comes natural gas and NGLs. So not only are we losing oil, but we're losing some of that other feedstock that may go to the existing uses, whether that's ResCom because certain regions can't convert or Agri because of the applications they use. So we're going to just be starved from less NGLs coming with uh, oil production kind of as a co-product. 
But then, as you say, running oil through a refinery, most refineries look at a making gasoline, jet and diesel because that's where all the money is. Sometimes they'll make an incremental bit of naphtha as they top all these different units, um, you know, in the in the site to make the fuels mix that they need. But as gasoline goes away and you make less of those good high valued finished products out of a barrel of oil, the co-products are going to have to carry more and more of that cost. And, and you know, I've been talking for the last five or six years here at at the firm that you know that's what we have to do. We're going to have to raise naphtha prices more to incent refiners to run, and then that trickles all the way into petrochemicals, whether that's um, you know making naphtha to make ethylene, co-product values of propylene, you know C4s and, and aromatics and the like. So naphtha is going to go for an interesting ride. And really, quite frankly, in our long long-term balances. We're almost short of naphtha, where we don't think steel in the ground can afford to convert to bottleneck and make more petrochemicals and petrochemical feeds, that we're going to have to go to some crude oil, the chemical direct route. Whatever that is yet to be defined, some are heavy in aromatics yields, some are you know, designed to be heavier in olefins yields, but those plants aren't inexpensive either. So it's, it's going to be clearly a, a dynamic and volatile world and working to, to drive those forecasts is one of those things we're, we're trying to do is assess the technologies and, and put economics behind that so that everyone has a clear view with our assumptions on where we think these prices and price drivers may at the end of the day fall out. Yeah, I think I think the technology providers and we had we had a few conversations with them, Steve, over at AFPM, but these technology providers they really are on the leading edge because they they get it right. They understand that if energy transition hits us, um, the world's going to still need petrochemicals. And whether it's creating new technologies to uh, get uh, get a cleaner cut of paraffinic naphtha, or creating new technologies to to boost the yield um, and lower the capex of producing on-purpose olefins technologies, I think that's. That that's something the world's going to need, especially during an energy transition. Yeah, there's clearly some good stories there, right? About, like I say, clever people, clever technology folks trying to figure out how to put the right molecules in the right place to get the most efficient use of those materials with the least uh, amount of energy. What what surprised me at both WPC and even to some extent at AFPM, you know, a, a couple of the industry leaders really started talking a bit more about nuclear energy as well. In in talking about not you know gigantic nuclear power plants, but you know kind of smaller units, and it's technology that exists. I mean, they reminded us, and uh, rightly so. You know, most of the the fleet of of navies around the world are nuclear. You know, submarines, uh, aircraft carriers, you know, different ships. So we have this technology. We know how to do it well. I mean, these boats are floating or around the world or, or under the sea if it's a submarine. But you know, we know how to do this. So is that a way to to really move forward and say we can do this safely? We can do this smartly. It is definitely CO2 free. Uh, other than, and I'll put a you know a big asterisk on that. You still got to mine the material and get the radioactive material that that drives those nuclear reactions. So you know everything. Everything you have to look at the whole the whole chain and not just a segment of it, but um, you know that that is a uh, something that out there that can really complement the energy mix in in the longer haul. So you talked to a lot of clients at AFPM. What did you find them to be most concerned about? So I'll I'll say after after we kind of explained the impacts of the merger, 
and you know what was going and what was not going and introduced chemical market analytics uh, as you know an entity that's carved out and will eventually move to to Dow Jones probably the first concern is who's going where you know where are you going uh, who's not coming and who's going so once we got beyond that part of the, the discussion it really was about um, the cost structure the dislocation of the cost structure uh, and logistics issues around the world you know it really is now short term view because no one knows how this uh, conflict's going to settle itself and everyone's focused on the short term in certain regions they've short inventory because costs are high other regions are high inventory but can't clear it to market uh, and then this whole threat of the economy tanking because of the conflict uh, and all these cost pressures that we've talked about earlier so i think in that order you know who's going where with the divestiture um, what's going on on cost am i competitive and what's going to ultimately go on in demand and will my will my assets work and how long is it going to take us to absorb this glut of for sure ethylene and propylene that we built uh, over the last couple of years and probably the, the couple of years to come yeah the the demand piece steve was some of the some of the concerns that i was hearing from clients um because they 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 sort of sense it right they sense that demand is very fragile just given the amount of inflation that's going on in the environment uh, the the amount of commodity shortages that are in the environment, and then also lockdowns that are happening in Asia, right? So there was an intense focus on 2022. What's going to happen in 2022? Is demand going to fall off? Can demand stay strong, right? So these are some of the questions that were being asked. And I think when we look out into the future, the the biggest headwind will be inflation. I mean, you. You know this, Steve. So I've, I've, we've done some statistical analysis and we've done some work on, okay, do high crude oil prices really impact demand? Well, not really. High crude oil prices affect vehicle miles traveled, right? What affects demand? It's consumer confidence, right? And so the consumer feels less confident because of high oil prices, one, but high inflation and general uncertainty about where the economy is headed, right? Interest rates also play a big factor into all this, but really those, those are the drivers to demand and everything's pointing red, right? Yet demand, at least in the U.S., is still strong. And given our feedstock position in the U.S., we should be running flat out and sending our product everywhere in the world. But that's not happening, right? And this is where we get into... Uh, a pretty heated discussion with our downstream derivative colleagues, right? Because, all right, product sitting at the port. It's cheap. We, we reproduced it very cheaply. Why isn't it flowing everywhere? Well, it's trade issues. Well, I mean, but if demand's there, they'll figure out a way to get it out, right? So I think that's, this is where there was an intense focus from some of our clients, right, for 2022. That That's that's all they cared about, at least the the conversations I had. Yes, yeah, like the real estate market, right? Location, location, location. And, and definitely the Middle East and, and North America have an advantage. And, and I think you were the one to mention earlier today, you know, even pellet movers are looking at a way to use car carrying ships to somehow load bags of pellets or, or um, containers of, of pellets on, on the boat in that form as opposed to the traditional 
big cargo ships. So, you know, when the money's there, the arbitrage is open. This is when the smart people go out and try to find ways to, to take advantage of that. And I think we're seeing some of that. Definitely bringing some semi-finished goods and finished goods in. They found creative ways to load ships, different kinds of ships with, with those goods. And probably moving containers of pellets will will fall kind of in, in the same bracket. Definitely the China, you know, the COVID threats and the reshutting down of, of things just is going to be a big headwind in getting this logistics system sorted sorted out but you know maybe it also will help the rest of the the system clear a bit better and all this dislocation of of ships and, and containers maybe sorts itself out if demand pulls back a little bit so you know there you always got to look for the the mixed the, the mixed blessing here and, and maybe that's where we're at is okay a pullback in demand may help us catch up and, and get get around all these issues but if it's not trying to it's ships moving in and out of, of Russia and Ukraine that may cause disruptions because all the boats have to make longer longer sail voyages to deliver products to where people will actually take them. And that creates even more issues for a already just-in-time kind of designed logistics system for this global trade, or the, you know, the system we call global trade. Well, my biggest fear is, Steve, is that we do get a slowdown, right? And it's not enough to to really dent demand, but we get a slowdown, the logistics issues begin to resolve themselves. There's still a lot of finished good material sitting on docks in China, right? If that stuff begins to appear in sort of the developed markets, call it US and in Europe, I mean, what does that do to manufacturing or at least chemicals manufacturing in those markets? This is this is what I'm most fearful of is this massive bullwhip effect. You know that bullwhip effect that we talk about, where you know small changes in demand downstream get magnified upstream. I'm just, I think that's most concerning to me if if the world goes through a recession because we we would get a a pretty pretty significant bullwhip effect on. Uh, I agree, and I think many CFOs are saying, okay, if my costs are going up, my cost of goods are higher, and I have high inventory. Let's let's just work that inventory off and not make stuff uh, from a raw material, whether that's from a, you know naphtha or LPG, or whether that's from an ethylene propylene molecule or a or PE or PP pellet. Let's just stop and work this down because I have cash tied up. My costs are only high. Hopefully the conflict, you know, solves itself in a shorter period of time, not longer, and energy recedes a bit, and the whole cost complex moves down, and and then we'll get back back to business. So, you know, that's the other driver is, you know, watching the CFO who's, who's con, um, controlling the the purse strings. Yeah. And the backward-dated energy curve doesn't help either, right? If, if they're sitting on a bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of product, exactly. they want to get rid of it now, right? Yep. So. I agree. Well, Steve, thank you for coming back on here after a while. And especially right after the very busy two weeks you've had, it's been a pleasure. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Steve. Tune in next week for a second special topic episode as we recap the Pauli Oliphant's highlights from WPC and AFPM. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And give us a like or leave a review if you enjoy it. And if you have any questions or want us to cover something more specific, you can send us an email. 
Until next time.